We are the gentle, gracious kind. Women who refuse to be undermined because of our warmth and sensitivity. There is beauty in our logic and emotionality, and none of us are created to be like the other, but to be uniquely individual, fighting together to build, to change, to create, to make a better world for the lives that we bear inside our curvy or lack thereof. Our crooked smiles and tough exteriors, my dearest sisters, you have something valuable inside of you. You are valuable. You are leader and helper, servant and warrior, and someone needs the shield you hold. The lost soul needs your food, hugs, and home. Someone needs your blunt boldness, your confetti-filled dance parties, your secret poems. This life is too short to not cultivate inner beauty. We were created to sew back steadiness and permanence into this culture with our femininity. We need every perfectionist, helper, a achiever, creative, investigator, loyalist, enthusiast, and peacemaker. What we don't need are the masks. We need to leave behind the past, the put together in comparison and take up the great commission, calling each other up as new creations, no longer sinners, but saints. And because of this, we must prepare the way for our daughters showing them what it looks like to outdo one another in honor, to not compete, but to show that we are each the work of the potter, ceramic and fragile. We contain treasures. So let's live this life together. The body of Christ is not too fat, too skinny, too flat, not pretty enough. The bride is like the wild flower waiting for her growth, anticipating her groom. We are the gentle, gracious kind. Hello everyone, welcome to the very first episode of the Gentle and Gracious podcast. My name is Christina Smet. I am a 20-something in the DFW area and I hope you enjoyed that spoken word that was at the beginning of this episode. I just wanted something to kind of set the tone, set the mood creatively for um, my heart behind what I'm doing here on Gentle and Gracious. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you did. So this episode is called Poems and Personality. You obviously know why poems was included in this because of the first few seconds of the podcast. But for the rest of this episode, we're going to be talking about the Enneagram, which is going to be an ongoing series as well as many other topics um, like relationships and life and what it looks like to be a woman in leadership, but also a woman of the gospel and just kind of navigating and talking about all these things together as women. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to talk about the Enneagram with you guys. It was highly requested. I thought it would be a good first episode just so that we could get to know each other a little bit on a real deep level, all about going deep straight from the beginning. And it would allow me to get to know you guys too, because if you follow Gentle and Gracious on Instagram at Gentle and Gracious, you can comment to me what your type is and what the information that you'll hear today made you feel about your type or insights that you didn't know. I would love to hear those things. I'm seriously so ecstatic and obsessed with the Enneagram. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into this conversation. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Gentle and Gracious Podcast. My name is Christina Smet, and today we are diving into the topic of personality, and we will be discussing the Enneagram. Now, before we get started, I just want to give some background to the Enneagram. It is the most ancient personality typing system that exists. It has been around for centuries and there's a reason why it's been around for centuries because it truly is such an incredible tool for spiritual transformation and though it is not a lifeline it is not the gospel and it's not even a box that you try and fit yourself into it is seriously just a tool to better understand yourself and your behavioral patterns, why you do the things you do, why you feel the way you feel, why you think the way that you think. And compared to all of the other personality typing systems like the Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, Happiness Dare, Lion, Beaver, Otter, Retriever, Spiritual Gift Test, all of those are super important and kind of discuss a different part of your personality, while the Enneagram I consider to be a soul-focused personality typing system. It is primarily focused on the core being that you are and who God created you to be. And I am not a certified professional. I am not a certified Enneagram coach. The Enneagram has been so transformational for me and my walk with the Lord and understanding myself and how he created me and understanding certain family dynamics or even some dynamics with my fiance and friends. And just really, it's such an incredible tool for understanding. And I am so excited to talk about that with you because that's really the point of any type of personality system is just to understand people and their hearts and to understand what characteristics of God they reflect because we're all made in the image of God and the Enneagram is such a beautiful way to reveal how each individual is designed to change the world. It's so cool. I love the Enneagram. And we're just going to dive right into the numbers. I am going to do a more foundational episode later on, but I thought it would be less overwhelming to just hear each number for who they are, some different characteristics, core desires, core fears, and I just feel like that in itself will be a good foundation before we head into the wings and subtypes and all the other fun stuff that's super interesting. And for this podcast, I am using my own notes to talk about the Enneagram, but I'm also using a booklet I got off of yourenneagramcoach.com, and it gives such an incredible overview of the foundation of the Enneagram and um, each Enneagram number, and it's all through the lens of the gospel, which is so beautiful and so helpful. So if you are looking to get more involved in understanding the Enneagram, your Enneagram coach is a great way to do that. She also provides 
coaching and just a whole, there's just a whole abundance of Enneagram goodies on that website. And I highly recommend you try it out if the Enneagram is something that really interests you. So let's jump right on in to number one on the Enneagram. Ones are usually labeled as the perfectionists and reformers of the world, but I was listening to a podcast with Ian Cron about the one, and I just thought that his, I guess, label, not a label, but label of type one was so much more accurate to the heart of the one, and that's the improver. They are the improvers of the world. They have a harsh inner critic constantly resounding inside of them to perfect everything that they see in their own heart, mind, and soul, but also in the heart, mind, and souls of others and also just their surroundings. They're the people that see a picture frame that's lopsided in the wall and they have to go and fix the picture frame. It really reminds me, if you've ever seen the series Monk, Monk is a stereotypical, also just very heightened one on the Enneagram. The ones that I know are super strategic, practical, strong, compassionate, productive, ethical, reliable, orderly, self-disciplined, they're organized, and that's at their best. At their best, they're really idealistic as well and wise, and they're just beautiful people who are so purpose-driven because of that harsh inner critic that they can honestly never silence. And because of that, when they are in a stressed, unhealthy space at their worst, they're judgmental, critical, um, controlling, uptight, jealous, anxious, inflexible. They just kind of become affected by the fact that they can't perfect anything. And as they're processing that information, their inner critic is just getting louder. And so they try and fix everything around them, every small thing, every person around them in order to even provide some relief to that intensity they're feeling internally. And so that intensity they're feeling internally is based off of their core desire to have integrity, balance, to be virtuous, to be ethical, and to be a good boy or good girl. And their core fear is of being bad, evil, angry, wrong, inappropriate, irresponsible, corrupt, condemned, and unredeemable. They live out their core fear through their core weakness, which is anger and resentment, um, they repress their anger and resentment and it comes out as criticism. And all of this is rooted in their wounding childhood message that it is not okay to make mistakes. So the message that everyone's heart longs to hear is simply that you are good. Not because of anything that you've done and not because you yourself are perfect, but because God saw you, he created you, and he said it was very good. That's who you are because of who God is and because of who he says that you are. 
And so that is the summary of the one. If you have a one in your life, the best way that you can get along with them is to make sure you take your share of the responsibilities so they don't have to end up doing all the work. They seriously despise that. They are very hard on themselves, so reassure them often and tell them that they're doing a great job. Um, tell them when you value their advice, be as fair and considerate as they are and listen to their worries and concerns, but then help them lighten up and have fun. One's in their best space really do love to have fun, which seems so polar opposite of who they are. But I've seen some ones let loose in their best space. They're such happy and joyous people when they can just relieve themselves from their inner critic. All right, going right on in to type two, the supportive advisor or more commonly known, I guess, as the helper. Um, helpers, type twos at their best, they're loving, compassionate, nurturing, generous, supportive, hospitable, and they're tuned into how people feel. They have this superpower where they can walk into a room and they are just overcome with the emotions of other people and they can feel where another person is at and they can assess the other person's emotions and be like, oh my goodness, I know what you need to feel better. I know what you need. That's basically <laughs> the subtitle phrase of a two's autobiography. And because twos believe that they know what you need and they are feeling and perceiving your emotions without being connected to their own, at their worst, they become martyr-like and indirect. They start to flatter you. They become a little needy, overly accommodating, possessive, intrusive, and a little clingy. And that is because their core desire is to feel loved and to be wanted for who they are only, not by what they can give to you. And that's why their core fear is of being unloved or unwanted for being purely themselves. And they'll act out their core fear through their core weakness of pride, the inability or unwillingness to acknowledge their own suffering and needs because as a child the wounding message that they picked up was that it is not okay to have your own needs so twos thoroughly believe that they have to give and pour out and be needed in order to be loved by others and the message that their heart longs to hear is that you are wanted you are wanted for exactly who you are, not by what you give, not by what you sacrifice, not by how you made people feel in your house by being hospitable. You are wanted for solely being you. It makes me think of the story of Mary and Martha. Martha is a biblical perfect example of a type two how to get along with twos. So if you have a two in your life or if you are a two, tell a two specifically what you appreciate about them. This is huge. I've specifically noticed for twos, this is huge for them because that means you're seeing past the facade they're portraying of being the advisor and helper and caregiver of the world. And you're seeing, hey, I see this about who you are in your heart. And I love that. And you should keep growing in that. And I've seen that truly mean so much to a two. 
Um, twos also enjoy just having fun and sharing fun times with their friends and family. Uh, take real interest in a two's problems, even though they will try and focus the attention back on other people. Let them know that they are special and important to you. Tell them what you love about them. And if you need to point something negative out in a two, twos are the most receptive to criticism. It is very, very difficult for them to be criticized. So if you do have a negative comment, please be gentle and be affirming as you are giving them a suggestion and be aware that they're very sensitive to criticism and that doesn't make them weaker or more emotional or sensitive. It just makes them who they are and that's a reality and it's a courtesy that we can give to twos to be sensitive. Next, we have the Enneagram three. There is no better words to describe the three as the performers and successful achievers of the world. They are the Beyonce's and the people who hold the corner offices at their best. They're optimistic and self-affirming, industrious, efficient, self-propelled, energetic, goal-oriented, and a team builder. These three is love to be seen as the best. Even if in the moment they're not 100% the best, even though they're going to work their butt off to be the best, they want to be seen and recognized. And because of that desire, at their worst, they can become deceptive, self-promoting, pretentious, vain, superficial, exploitive, and overly competitive. And these are also threes are most likely to be workaholics, which is a real struggle. It's a huge struggle. I am a wing three, which I'll go into explaining wings in a different episode, but I definitely resonate with a lot of the threes good qualities and their bad qualities. And the core desire of the three is to feel valuable and worthwhile by just being themselves without having to perform. So though twos want to be wanted for themselves and not by what they give, threes similarly but also differently want to be worthwhile and important, but by just being, by just being themselves. Because their core fear is being worthless and a failure, incapable, unimpressive, unsuccessful, inefficient, and exposed. Threes are terrified of failure. These types on the Enneagram are, even though they're in the heart triad, they are the least attuned to their emotional struggle because they are just terrified of failing and admitting that they have failed. They will avoid any type of activity that will possibly end up in failure for them. And because of that, they act out that core fear of failure into their core weakness of deceit. Threes deceive themselves into believing that they are only the image that they present to others. So basically, threes believe that this mask that they're wearing that others see all the time they will deceive themselves into believing that that's 
all that they are, that they are simply a mask because their wounding childhood message is that it's not okay for them to have their own feelings and identity, which is so far from the truth. You are so uniquely, powerfully, and beautifully made. And the message a three's heart longs to hear is that you are loved for simply being you. You do not have to gain admiration. You do not have to be the best. You do not need to have everyone's full attention. You don't need to have the golden plaque on the wall to be loved. The best way that you can get along with a three is to tell them that you like being around them, not that you like what they're doing, but that you like their presence in their company. Tell them how proud you are of them and their accomplishments. And don't interrupt them while they're working. Though threes in their unhealthy space can become workaholics, at their best, they can become incredibly goal-oriented, team-building people, and their work truly does mean a lot to them. Give them honest but not unduly critical or judgmental feedback and help them keep their surroundings harmonious and peaceful. All right, type four, type four. I'm getting excited because I'm a type four. Not the rappers of the world or the cheerleaders, obviously. We are the romantic individualists. Some Enneagram professionals call the four either the romantic, the individualist, the creative... Uh, the dreamer, all of the, all the emotional things. Fours at their best are authentic, compassionate, introspective, expressive, creative, supportive, accomplished, and refined. Fours want to completely understand themselves and the way that they work and the way that others work and They want to be able to express themselves. They don't want to feel like they have to be like everyone else. They want to have the freedom to truly get to know themselves for who they are and then express themselves in whatever creative outlet that they they have, whether they're artists or musicians or even in the medical field. I'm sure there are fours in the medical field, just that desire to express their passion is huge for a four. It's huge for me. But because we're so focused on ourselves, honestly, we can become withdrawn and have exaggerated moods. We can become depressed, self-pitying, moralistic, self-absorbed, and possessive. That is at a four's worst, and I have seen that in myself at my own worst because my core desire and a four's core desire is to find themselves in their unique significance, to create a significant identity for themselves because a four's fear is of being inadequate, emotionally cut off, plain, ordinary, commonplace, mundane, abandoned, defective, or flawed. And fours will act out their core fear through their core weakness of envy. Fours feel like there is something fundamental missing in them and that others possess qualities that they lack. And that obviously causes them to become jealous and envious because they have never felt like they belong. They've never been able to find that missing piece, quote unquote, that other 
people seem to have because their wounding childhood message is that it's not okay to be too functional or too happy. And the message of four's heart longs to hear is that you are seen and loved for exactly who you are. Now, as a four, I can give a little bit more insight into this type because it is these core fears, desires, and weaknesses in childhood messages and heart longs, what my heart longs to hear, they're all accurate of me. And to be seen and loved for exactly who I am without being asked to change, without being without being asked to minimize or shrink back the uniqueness and significance I feel that has been placed inside of me by God is huge. When I heard that and I truly accepted that, it it was huge for me. Um, how to get along with fours. <laughs> Give them plenty of compliments. They mean so much to them. Be supportive of them by helping them love themselves and to see their significant value. Respect a four's unique abilities in having good intuition and vision. Please realize that fours may not want to be cheered up when they are feeling melancholy, not because they're going to sit in their sadness forever, but because they want to understand why they're feeling certain things. They want to process that. And so it truly means the world to them when you give them the time or even the listening ear to help them process all those emotions. And the worst thing that you can say to a four is that they're being too sensitive and that they're overreacting. I have personally experienced this and it is the most crushing feeling in the world to hear that. Uh, Fours also, as a side note, are very passionate about beauty and aesthetics and they love things to look beautiful. They love to taste and see the goodness of who God is, who, what he created on this planet. That's also something that fours really do enjoy. All righty. This is the five on the Enneagram, the thinker, the investigator at their best. Fives are analytical, persevering, sensitive, wise, objective, perceptive, and curious. Fives are so analytical, man. Fours want to get to the bottom of their emotions, but fives want to get to the bottom of like life and everything and every system that's ever been created. They want to know why it works. And because of that, they are very smart which can also be played out in some not-so-fun ways at their worst. Uh, Fives are intellectually arrogant, stingy, stubborn, distant, critical of others, unassertive, and cynical. The five's core desire is to be capable and competent because their core fear is being obligated, annihilated, emptied, incompetent, being ignorant, overwhelmed, dependent, or huge for the five is invaded. They do not like people invading their personal space because they believe that they lack the inner resources um, to function in normal life. They 
fear that too much interaction with others will lead to catastrophic depletion. And this leads fives to withhold themselves from contact with the world. Therefore, they hold on to their resources and minimize their own needs. And that's because the fives wounding childhood message is that it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. And so the message that a five longs to hear is that your needs are not a problem. Now, fives, when you want to withdraw and you want to pull away because you fear that you are running low on your inner resources, which is totally valid um, to your human experience, just know that in Christ you lack nothing that your resources are continually refreshed and multiplied by the grace of Jesus. And you have the freedom to voice what you need. You have the freedom to voice that you need help or that you need something. How to get along with a five. Be independent. Do not be clingy. That is huge for a five. I've seen that with different fives that I know, they are very independent people and they do not like clingy people at all. Not clingy, that sounds like rude, but more as much as there's nothing wrong with being independent, there's also nothing wrong with being dependent. So more dependent people have a tendency to butt heads with fives. Uh, Speak in a brief and straightforward manner. Fives don't want to hear about All the things, they just want the point. Get to the point. They need a lot of time to process their feelings and thoughts. They also don't like surprises, intrusions on their privacy, too many emotions, needy people, and obligations. They do not like to be tied down when they fear that they could literally run out of energy. And they're not super, (laughs) they're not the biggest fans of emotional conversations. I'll just put it that way. (laughs) Type six, the loyal guardian, the guardians, defenders, and loyalists. At their best, sixes are loyal, likable, prepared, funny, trustworthy, compassionate, witty, practical, and responsible. Sixes are amazing, but they're also super complex and they honestly experience a lot of inner turmoil because they have all these incredible qualities, but they also deal with such insane anxiety of just what if, what if, what if, what if, and worst case scenarios. They are the worst scenario thinkers of the world. So at their worst, they can become hypervigilant, dependent, unpredictable, judgmental, paranoid, defensive, self-defeating, and self-doubting. Their core desire is to have security, balance, support, and guidance. Their core fear is literally of fear itself. They are terrified of danger, uncertainty, chaos, not having support, security, and guidance. They fear being blamed, in trouble, alone, targeted, 
helpless, unsafe, and physically abandoned. And sixes will act out their that core fear through their core weakness of fear and anxiety. Sixes walk around in a constant state of apprehension and worry about possible future events because their wounding childhood message is that it's not okay for you to trust yourself. And because sixes don't trust themselves or their environment around them, that is why they walk around in that constant state of worry. The message the heart of the six longs to hear is that you are safe. Everything is okay. You are safe. The Lord has you under the shelter of his wings. He is your refuge. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you for the rest of your days because God is good and he keeps you safe. To get along with sixes, be clear and direct. Listen to them carefully. Don't judge them for their anxiety. Reassure them that everything is going to be okay. Lighten the mood. Laugh and make jokes with them. Tell them and show them that you support them. Acknowledge that they are loyal responsible and supportive. Another really fun thing about sixes is that they are hilarious. They are some of the funniest people that I have ever met, which is such a beautiful symbol of when they are in a healthy space. They are able to take life a little less seriously and just honestly have fun. All right, guys, we're almost to the end. We're at the seven, the optimist, the enthusiast, the entertainer. Sevens at their best are fun-loving, spontaneous, imaginative, productive, practical, enthusiastic, quick, confident, and charming. Sevens are the Bob Goffs of the world. No joke. They are the Bob Goffs riding around. I don't know if you've ever seen that picture of Bob Goff, but he's on like a moped with a huge abundance of balloons behind him that he's holding in the air. And there are all these bright, colorful balloons and he's the biggest smile on his face. That is like the staple picture for a seven. And because they are all about having fun and being positive at their worst, they can kind of become impulsive and escapists. They can become rebellious, distracted, superficial, manic, self-destructive, and self-focused. Their core desire is to be fully, completely satisfied and content. And their core fear is of being incomplete, inferior, limited, bored, trapped in emotional pain, sadness, disappointment, criticism, or missing out on something. Sevens have FOMO to the max. They do not want to miss out on anything fun because their core weakness, how they act out that core fear is gluttony. Because they want to overcome feelings of inner emptiness, they pursue a variety of positive stimulating ideas and experiences and activities. But because they're constantly consuming all of these positive activities, they're still left unsatisfied and feel like they never have enough. And that is because their wounding childhood message is that it's not okay to depend on anyone for anything. 
And the message of seven's heart longs to hear is that you will be taken care of. The Lord has taken care of you. He has since the day you were born. He sees you and he is your fulfillment and satisfaction. Jesus is the filler of the void that you are constantly trying to fill with jokes and positivity and music festivals and roller coasters and food and all the fun, positive things in the world that he created that are good things, but all the good things he created are still never going to measure up to the goodness of God's heart. And he is ultimately what you need to be satisfied. How to get along with sevens? Give them companionship, affection, and freedom. Engage with them in stimulating conversation and laughter. Sevens love to laugh. Accept them the way that they are. Sometimes people perceive sevens as being way too positive. As someone who is a four and who needs time to sit in negative feelings to process them, that is completely opposite from the seven. And so sometimes I can even be judgmental of sevens of like, oh my gosh, why are you so positive? Just like cry for two seconds. Um, but the biggest way you can be a support to sevens is just by accepting them in their positivity and learning to jump into it with them listen to their stories and grand visions. They do not like to be told what to do or to be restricted. That is also similar to a four, by the way. And be enthusiastic with them. Be passionate with them and be excited with them. Type eight, the protector, the challenger. Man, these, I picture just Dwayne Johnson when I think of the eight, not because all eights look like Dwayne Johnson, at their best, eights are compassionate, inspiring, resilient, enduring, loyal, energetic, empowering, protective, and self-confident. And at their worst, they are loud, vengeful, excessive, controlling, rebellious, insensitive, domineering, and self-centered. Eights have the core desire to protect themselves and to protect the innocent from the corrupted, honestly. Eights are probably the most justice-driven on the Enneagram because they fear they fear weakness and powerlessness. They do not want, they fear being underestimated, disempowered, humiliated, vulnerable, harmed, controlled, manipulated, and at the mercy of injustice. I have a really close friend, my ch best childhood friend who is an eight, and she told me that when she was figuring out her Enneagram type, there was like a little phrase that was said about an eight, which is if you were supposed to wear your heart on your sleeve, God would have put it there. And that is the <laughs> most true statement of an eight I've ever heard. And that's so opposite for me as a four. I wear all the hearts on my sleeves. <laughs> um, but because eights are fearful of being vulnerable and controlled and disempowered, their core weakness is actually lust. But this lust isn't referring to 
relational or sexual desires. It's actually referring to a constant need for intensity, control, and power. Lust causes them to push and assert themselves willfully over themselves and over others. They are the snow plows. At their best, they're doing their job effectively and keeping the streets safe and clean for everyone. But at their worst, they just plow right over everyone. And that is because eight's wounding childhood message is that it is not okay to be vulnerable or to trust anyone. And the message that an eight's heart longs to hear is that you will not be betrayed. You serve a God and are in relationship with a God who will not manipulate or betray you or forsake you or leave you or fool you. God is a God of justice. And in your sin, you were the most unjust. And because of Christ's blood, you have become just, you have become righteous, you have become beautiful, and you don't have to fear intimacy or being known because God is never going to betray you when you reveal the intimate parts of you. He knitted you in your mother's womb. He knows the intimate parts of you, and he loves the tender heart that is hidden under your tough exterior. How to get along with eights. Stand up for yourself and for them. Be confident, strong, and direct. Notice that they are tender and have a vulnerable side behind their strong exterior. Acknowledge the contributions that they make, but do not flatter them. Eights hate flattery and fluff. <laughs> um... Eights often speak in a direct and assertive way, but please don't automatically assume that it's a personal attack against you. Eights just have a super direct way of talking to people. It has intimidated me before, and I have had to learn that it is not personal. It's really not. It's just how literally they converse, <laughs> and it's beautiful, and it's needed, and I desire to have that ability. Guys, we're at the end. We're at the end. If you have not found your Enneagram type throughout this podcast, that is because you are a nine, the peaceful mediator. Nines actually have a little bit of every type in them. They can see through the lens of every single Enneagram number because they are the mediators of the world. At their best, they're pleasant, peaceful, generous, patient, accepting, open-minded, diplomatic, and empathetic. Nines are so thoughtful and easygoing and receptive and reassuring and agreeable. And they can also be spaced out at their worst. <laughs> they can become forgetful, stubborn, resigned, passive aggressive, judgmental, unassertive, and even obsessive. Their core desire is to have inner stability and balance, peace of mind, to have everything inside of them and outside of them in harmony. Nines have a desire to be comfortable. 
So their core fear is to be uncomfortable. They have a fear of conflict and lovelessness and separation. They fear being unimportant and overlooked and alone or in a inharmonious relationship. Nines are the conflict avoiders on the Enneagram, but it's a certain kind of conflict avoiding because if the conflict is not specifically directed at them, they're actually wonderful mediators and will go right into the conflict to provide peace to a chaotic environment. But it is when the conflict arises and is completely projected onto them that they act out their core weakness from their core fear, which is sloth. And this doesn't even mean laziness in their job or work a lot. Most of the nines I know are extremely productive people, but the slothness is actually an unwillingness to be fully awake to themselves and their desires, needs, and abilities. And they resist to bring their full selves to all of life. Because their wounding childhood message is that it's not okay to assert yourself. Because nines want to avoid conflict at all costs, they will go along to get along. And they do not see the value of asserting themselves because they don't really feel like there's anything to assert, honestly. Most of the time for nines, they have it's almost a learned behavior of... If they have asserted themselves in conflict in the past, it probably didn't go over well. So that just causes them to become more fearful and shrink back even more. And what a nine's heart longs to hear is that their presence matters. Your presence matters. As a nine, you have been born with incredible abilities and unique passions and desires and drive, not at all defined by the people you're trying to keep the peace with. You have your own, not just feelings and thoughts, but your own, you have your own ideas and dreams and goals, and that's okay. Your presence matters, and your goals and your dreams matter, and they're going to be used for the kingdom of God. To get along with a nine, be patient with them and don't rush them. It takes time to come to a clarified thought or decision. Tell them that their presence matters. Tell them that they are not overlooked, but that their voice, their presence, their needs matter. Listen to them until they are finished talking. Nines will let you interrupt them. Hold your tongue. Listen to them until they are finished talking. Nines enjoy passionate discussions, but they really dislike confrontation. If something is in the form of an argument, that's when nines tend to draw back. Nines tend to focus on others, so take the time to really focus in on them. Twos and nines are very similar people, but the difference is, is that twos need to be needed by others in order to feel loved and they will focus on others because they believe that is how they're receiving their love. Nines don't necessarily believe that they need to do things for others or go along to get along to be loved. They know that they're loved for who they are, but they want to know genuinely that they matter to you. Ha! Huh, all right. 
We did it, guys. We went through every single number on the Enneagram. I hope that this was interesting and not too boring. If it was too boring, please tell me and we will talk about something more exciting next week. But I hope that this was helpful and that it provided some interesting information about who you are and who the people around you might be and Yeah, I'm so excited to continue the Gentle and Gracious podcast. Next week, we are going to be talking about what it looks like to be faithful and obedient. I'm so excited to have that conversation with you guys. And I'm already on the edge of my seat, um, excited to see what the Lord has for us next week. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, let me know. Give it a rating if you didn't like it. I mean, maybe not rate it, leave a comment. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Yeah, follow Gentle and Gracious on Instagram at Gentle and Gracious to stay updated with future episodes and share with me and comment what your Enneagram type is, what maybe your friend's Enneagram type is or your parents or your boyfriend, husband, whatever. It's so interesting. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I hope that all of this information was able to connect you in a deeper way to your authentic self so that you can have a deeper relationship with the Lord and with others. Have a great week.